so I recognize also, I just want to say I'm going to talk about Easter, I'm going to talk about the resurrection, but I want to say that I recognize that not everybody is kind of into it. Not everybody's into the resurrection, not everybody's into church. I recognize people are, are visiting and there's guests and all, and, uh, and I recognize we're from different backgrounds. Some of us church backgrounds, others not church backgrounds. Some people like church, love church, don't like church, like I, like I get that, and so uh uh, I recognize some people are decided, some people know what they believe, others don't know what they believe, and they're, they're undecided. I mean, we have Republican Party, we have the Democrat Party, and we have people that just like to party, you know what I mean? So uh, we've, got, we've got all sorts here, and so <laughs> that was funny, I don't care what you think, so anyway, um, so I recognize that, but also I want to say that I really believe that God has a reason for us being here. I want to suggest that, and I want to suggest that whatever reason you're here, that's not necessarily an accident that you're here. And so in some faith circles, uh, the speaker will get up and say something like, he has risen, and then the community will say, he's risen indeed. And I was wondering if we could do that. Can we do that? All right. He is risen. He is risen. Yeah, he's risen. He is risen. Fantastic. So, uh, you know, the stock market uh, rises and falls here, but we don't gather together for 2,000 years from every culture and every people to say that. Uh, and so uh, we've not gathered to say uh, that the price of gas has risen, though it has risen there. But our hope uh, and what has held people together for 2,000 years was not the teachings of Jesus, not even the miracles of Jesus, but the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And so that's what we're here to celebrate. And in the face of you know pandemics and uh, mass shootings and heartbreak and the local mountains having snowmageddon, you know what I'm talking about? And so uh, disease and death, uh, I just want to say that Jesus Christ is risen. And so we are super fired up that you're here. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk to you about why Easter matters, like why it really matters, why it's more than an American holiday. And I want to talk about how it can impact all of your life, like how it can impact your life, like tomorrow morning, like Monday morning, it can impact your life. There could be a reality of the resurrection that is so much more than just the American holiday. So I want to talk to every like high school student, every young adult, every college student, every mom, every dad, every grandfather, every grandmother, every great-grandfather, and every great-great-grandmother. I want to talk to you about the why that, that it matters here. And so, uh, and so I also want to say this here, that when like all the stuff is put away and we look great and all that, and everything's put away, like this next week, how the resurrection could actually impact your life here. And so if you don't consider yourself a follower, you're not like a church person, you're not a believer, like, that's okay, I love that, I love that you're here. I didn't grow up that way. I didn't grow up some church person. I didn't grow up a follower or a believer. I, I, I thought it was really basically like a, you know, a bunch of like, like for other people, like it's a little bit of a bunch of nonsense is, is how I grew up. And so, but I want to tell you that my story is that I, my life intersected with the resurrected Christ. It really did. I could remember like yesterday, and that changed everything for me. And so this is my personal story, and I want to unpack the Bible story about Easter. So if you are able to stand to your feet, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to read from Matthew chapter 28. I'll read first, and then you'll read second. 
This is the word of the Lord. I would remind you that we're reading words that are breathed by God, the most powerful book in the world. And it says this, Matthew chapter 28. After the Sabbath, at the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. He's not here. He's risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. So the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God lives on forever. Let us pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for everyone here. Thank you for all those watching online. And I pray this morning that we might hear something that would spark a desire, a hunger, something in, in our hearts, in our heads, that we would begin to pursue you and follow you, and maybe for the very first time. You'd do something real and something fresh, and we might even hear your voice through your words, and everyone agreed, saying, Amen. So I want to give you some context about the story which we're going to unpack this morning. I'm going to talk about Peter. So having done this before, I feel a little bit like, man, how can I like tell the story from a little bit of a different angle? So I was sweating and laboring on what's an angle, a, a different twist to the resurrection story. And so uh, I have something that I want to share with you. And I feel like there's a message for us but I want you to know I'm taking a different uh, approach to sharing the resurrection story. And I'm going to talk about Peter. And I'm going to talk about his story and how the resurrection impacted his story. But I want to begin here with some context of the story because uh, Good Friday, Good Friday, we just were there a couple days ago and talked about how Jesus was bloodied and beaten, how he was nailed to a cross, an old Roman cross. And there was the death of Jesus. It was final and it was brutal. And all the disciples, they're like shocked and they're stunned. Uh, they're confused. They're afraid. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. And there's the son of God who's hanging lifeless on a cross. He, he's been tortured. He's, he's not recognizable according to Isaiah. And he's bleeding out there and he's, he's going to die. And the sky turns dark and uh, the disciples don't know what to do, and so they abandon him. And so Jesus breathes his final breath, and the next day, the one that proclaimed to be God now is dead. So Jesus said things like, I'm the bread of life, and I'm the resurrection and the life, and I'm the way and the truth and the life. And how is it then that the life could now be dead? And so Jesus said that he was God, but what is the one thing that God can't do. Well, God can't die, and so, but now all appearances are that the leader is dead. It's a bad day for the disciples. And so the disciples, they're human like us, and so they're basically in meltdown mode. They're hitting the eject button. Everybody is bailing. They're running for their lives. The dream is over. The leader of the movement is now dead. And so they're all unfollowing him. They're hitting the unfollow button here. And when Jesus died on Friday, all their dreams, all their hopes had died with Jesus. And so the disciples are, are utterly defeated and sorting out like, why did we waste the last three years of our life? And Peter, who was a professional fisherman, said it all when he said, 
I don't know about you, but I'm going fishing. I'm going back to my old life. It was a good run, but the run is over, and I'm going back to my old life. And the Bible says this, and all of the disciples followed him. Now it's Sunday morning, and Mary goes to the, the tomb, and she's imagining a worst-case scenario. And the worst-case scenario is that the body's been, been stolen, and, uh, and Mary thinks that there's no way that Jesus has risen from the dead. But then she finds out that, that it's empty, the tomb is empty, and she says, as we read, go quickly and tell the disciples that he's risen from the dead. How could it be that somebody came back from the dead? Because normally when people die, they stay dead, right? But Jesus didn't stay dead here. And behind the scenes there, God was engineering a resurrection, the greatest comeback of all time. And though the resurrection, even to you today, may not be your, re your reality, and may it, maybe it seems like it was crazy, seems like it was absolutely impossible, seems like it was uh, unbelievable, unexplainable, but I want to say this here, that it's undeniable. If you look at extra-biblical sources, it is undeniable that a, a former dead man was now walking the streets of Jerusalem, and there was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, up to 500 people that saw him at one time. How many people know it's hard to fake out 500 people at the same time? And so today I want to share with you a scene when Jesus made his third appearance. So that's the background after the resurrection here. And uh, what I want you to, I hope you realize that it is more than, than history, that it's more than a story, but it could impact your story. Because I believe for many of you, your story intersects the story that I'm going to talk about. And again, this is personal for me because I feel that I have, I've experienced this story, the resurrection. So I want to show you that you can live your life free from regrets. Anybody in the house? You don't have to raise your hand. But any of the, anybody in the house, you have regrets. Yeah, yeah, like, like beginning with the speaker, I have regrets. Like I have a fair number of regrets. I have enough regrets that I don't need to add any more regrets to my pile of regrets for the rest of my life. I have measures of regret. I think all of you have regrets, if you, you be honest. You have regrets from last year. You have regrets from last month. You have regrets from last week. Some of you, you might have regrets from last night. But we all have regrets, don't we? I'll tell you where I have regrets. I have regrets where I've been too harsh with someone. To this day, I have regrets for how I've been too harsh. I have regrets for times where I don't feel like I have a temper, but where I've expressed my temper in ungodly ways. I have regrets for making the wrong decision. I have regrets uh, for things that I've done. You may have regrets for what you've done, for what you've put in your body, for what you've done to someone. You have regrets for decisions you've made. You may have regrets. Some of you have regrets here for your former identity. There was 34926. That was your old identity. You have regrets for where you do meetings where you say, yeah, I am a fill in the blank. That's who 
I have been. Well, in John chapter 21, we're coming face to face with someone who had immense boatloads of regrets. We're going to look at his life and look at how the resurrected Jesus dealt with the regrets. So his name is Simon Peter. And Simon Peter was kind of one of those big mouth, really overconfident, brash, impulsive, leader type, you know, always, you know, talking before he was thinking there, professional fisherman. I mean, really today, this is what he was. Today, he's MMA. Anybody watch MMA? Come on, do I have any friends out there that watch MMA? Yeah, you know, he's watched, he's an MMA guy. He, he's tough. That's mixed martial arts cage fighting for those of you that don't know that. So uh, you're learning something on Easter besides about Easter. But he's a strong dude. I mean, a really strong dude, barrel chest, you know, buffed out, you know, kind of like the speaker this morning with sandals on. <laughs> Didn't appreciate that laughter. But imagine, imagine that's Peter there. And so Peter now is buried under, under a pile of regret, under oceans of regret here. And so, uh, and there he is. He's, he's uh, on a boat in a body of water, the Sea of Galilee. That's it right there, the Sea of Galilee. And so picture Peter there fishing with his buddies there. And, uh, and Peter does what most of us do when life falls apart. And what do you do when life falls apart? You go back to what you know how to do. Right, you go back to, to your old life. So he's gone back to his old life. There he's on the Sea of Galilee there, and he didn't know what to do, and so there he is, and he's going fishing, and like all of us, Peter has a past. Peter has regrets. Peter now is in a space that he never intended that he would be in. He, ne he never wanted to be in this space here. And so, uh, and so one time, Peter is with Jesus, and Jesus asked him, he said, hey, Peter, he said, who do... Like after he asked the question, who do men say that I am? They say, but how about you, Peter? Who, who do you say that I am? Peter didn't wait to like take a public poll or, or anything like that. Peter just boldly said, hey, uh, crazy. Hey, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, yeah, right on, Peter. You got that right. And upon that, your confession, I'm going to build like my movement. I'm going to build my church here. And then God does what only God can do because he's a name-changing God. More on that. He's a name-changing God. He says, your name will no longer be called Simon, but Peter, like the rock. I don't know about you, but that resonates inside me. Like, I'd love to be called the rock, you know, a rod, the rock, you know. So, but here, Peter, what an honor. Jesus says, you're the rock. I'm going to build my church on people like you there. Now you fast forward to the Last Supper. We're going to see what happens to the rock here. Jesus is talking to his disciples here. And think, imagine him. There he is, eyeball to eyeball with all of his disciples. And he says this, this very night, you followed me, uh, and you're all going to fall away. I'm telling you the truth. You're all going to fall away on account of me. Peter, you know, the reactive type that he was, and the brash person he was, he declares, Oh, no, Lord, you, you, you got it all wrong. Not me. I, I would never cut and run. I would never, I would never abandon you. Hey, yeah, maybe all these other jokers, they might, but not me. I'm the rock, Lord. I would never do that. And Jesus said, here's the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you're, you're going to disown me three times. That's who you are, and that's what you're going to do. Peter, no, Lord, I, I would never do that. I would never disown you. And later that night, 
in a dramatic arrest of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's dark and it's chilly. And there's a courtyard there. And there's uh, the courtyard of Caiaphas, the high priest. And so you got to get this clear in your mind and imagine the scene there. Uh, and so there's a fire burning. And only two times in all of Scripture does it mention this, the words used for the fire burning there. And it, and, and it says there uh, that this is what happened. This Peter, watch, everybody look up here. Peter is now following at a distance. When I read that and when I processed that, uh, uh, it just, I, I, was, I was moved with emotion because uh, it wasn't just true of Peter, but that could be true of us. That could be your story. You can be around church things and church people and all that. Like Peter was, he's around the Messiah himself. So he's kind of close. He's kind of in the, the proximity there. He kind of knows the routine. He's done the routine there for a few years. He's there, you know, doing, doing the feeding the 5,000. And he saw the miracles and all of that stuff there. So he'd been close, you know, to the Messiah here. But now, now he wants to play it safe. Now there's distance between not only physical distance, but there's a spiritual heart distance between him and Jesus. And so if we're honest with ourselves, if we're honest with ourselves, put that back up there. If we're honest with ourselves, for some people here today on Resurrection Sunday, that is your reality. For some people, there's distance. Maybe you're not a church-going type, and there's distance. Maybe you are, and there's distance. And there's a message here for all of us here, because there's a description of how people follow today at a distance. Peter is keeping his distance. Peter now doesn't want to be too close, because watch, of the implications of being too close. I wonder today how many people don't want to be too close. They want to be in the proximity, but not too close because of the implications of being too close. I want to point out here that with sin here in our lives, it just doesn't happen suddenly. But what happens is usually behind the scenes, there are little erosions in the, in the personal life there. And then there's a final expression after this long series of little missteps here that evolved over a period of time. And then it comes to expression. And I wonder if that didn't happen. And so what happens here is Peter bumps into this girl, and this girl says, uh, uh, hey, hey, uh, yeah, like what happened? And I think can happen, we can do the same thing where we can say, hey, you know, I just got too busy. Or I, I moved, or yeah, there was a pandemic, and I just kind of got out of my routine, you know, my church routine there. I started traveling more. You know, I'm just not kind of like into, not into it anymore. Not, not into like Bible and prayer and, and all that. I, I'm kind of around and in, but, but I'm sort of at a distance now. And the whole online thing never really like worked for me, you know. I got tired of that. So gradually, you know, people that follow, they, they gain this distance here. Until one day, the unthinkable happens there. And we find ourselves in a place where we would never imagine like Peter here today. Peter enters a courtyard of Caiaphas following from a distance and there's a crowd there that is now gathered. And remember the fire, because the fire is very significant here. And so and there's a servant girl there who seems to recognize Peter and says, Hey, 
Hey, like, like, like you, like, you're the guy, you're one of those guys with Jesus. And Peter's like, hey, what are you, what are you talking about? I don't, know, I don't know what you're talking about. And he denies Christ there. Peter says, I don't even, I don't even know the guy. And you can imagine, you know, like he gulped, I don't even know the guy. And now he's beginning to break his sweat there. He's, he's feeling it. There's surely, another one says, hey, surely, you're one of them. And your accent's a dead giveaway. Yeah, there he is. And Peter denies, I don't know what you're talking about. And so, and then uh, happens again three times. And, and just then the, the, crow, the rooster crows, just like Jesus had predicted. He said, hey, it's going to happen. Three times he denies. And then the rooster crows and, and he's indicted. In a, and there's a translation that re reads that, uh, the Message Bible, that he cried and he cried and he cried. And he saw his life for what it was. Now the big, boastful, brash, MMA, big mouth, Peter here, the rock, is full of regret. And I wonder if you don't have those moments that the scripture's talking about here where you feel full of regret. I have had those moments and I play the tapes over in my head one in particular that I can't escape, that I lost a friendship over because of something that I regret. And it's hard to sometimes comprehend. And with Peter here, the oceans of turmoil that he was feeling in his heart. And imagine there, now he's seeing Jesus crucified. And the oceans of regret, and there's Jesus bloodied, beaten. And there's Peter in the crowd, and he's seeing the nails in his hands and his feet and seeing Jesus saying, it is finished. And less than 24 hours earlier, there was Peter, overconfident, the rock. I, I would never, never, Lord, would it happen to me that I would, I would deny you. You can, you can count on me. All the other jokers are going to bail, but, but not me. And now he's having to absorb the reality of his life here, that he'd lost all his courage, that he'd abandoned every ounce of his integrity, how he denied his relationship with Christ, not once, but twice, but three times. Can anybody identify with Peter here in terms of his regret that he was feeling in his life there? Has anybody here heard, figuratively speaking, the distant cry of the rooster of regret. Scene number two. Now in John 21 here, Peter's broken past. It's still, still haunting him. It's still alive within him. I'm sure he's playing the tape of, if only I had done different. If only I could have that night back again. Have you ever found yourself immobilized like Peter, wondering if I could ever have that opportunity back again that I now so regret, that I now am so agonizing over? I have played the tape in my mind. If I could only have back the damaging words that I said that cost me that relationship. Have you ever said, if I could only have back the moment when my temper came to its worst expression, if only I could have that back. How many people have said, if only I could have the years over, if only, if only the things that happened that, that paralyze me now, 
John 21 begins with Peter. He fished all night. Uh, something endearing to me about that because I love to fish. But he fished all night and he hadn't caught a single fish. And now this voice from the early morning darkness pierces through the darkness and says, hey, have you caught any fish? And Jesus is far away on the side of the shore there of Galilee that they can't see, but they, they hear the voice. Have you caught any fish? He's like, no, professional fisherman. No, we haven't caught any fish. Hey, throw your nets on the other side, on the right side. And so they do, and they obey. And, uh, and then they're... they're their nets are full of fish, 153 to be exact. How do you know that? Well, because fishermen love to count how many fish they catch. You know, that's who we are. And so the boat wasn't far enough out there that, uh, uh, that they really couldn't make it out with Christ. But then Peter realizes it's the Messiah. And so you know it's cold and it's freezing. And Peter, imagine this, like the regret. Now he's thinking, there he is. I got another shot. I got another, I got another shot here. So he jumps out there. Peter, it's like he's been looking for the Messiah. And Peter, and imagine Jesus. And what I want you to get is this is what God is like. The one that let him down to the to a degree that's no greater than he could let him down. Now he's not saying when he sees Peter face to face, he didn't say, Peter, I've been looking for you. Peter, you let me down. You lying, nobody, disloyal, incompetent, traitor that you are. No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, Peter, I told you so. You did not, none of that is there. Instead, Jesus, this is what God is like. Lovingly, compassionately asking, hey, Peter, how's the fishing going? How's it going, bro? And so, the question became, that question became the catalyst for one of the most moving encounters in all of Scripture there. Nah, haven't caught anything. Hey, guys, like, try the other side. Try the other side there and see, see how it goes. And Peter then is, jumps out of the boat and running and head first, he goes after Jesus, swimming to get there. And Jesus, I believe when he encountered Peter, Peter's absorbed with this thought, I'm so ready I'm so ready to be set free from all of the regrets in my heart. I want to leave it all behind. If I, I could just get to the Messiah. And there he is minutes later. He's probably freezing and all. And, uh, and remember what I just said about the coals. Two times in all of Scripture, the first time the coals there, when he's denying Christ in Caiaphas' court, and the second time of all of Scripture, the same words used. And there's Peter. I'm sure he could smell the aroma of the fire there. And there's Jesus by the fire. And there's Jesus now, where it all went wrong. He's come 360 back to the same experience where it's all going to be made right. And there's the fire. And the burning coals are used uh, there to, to remind him, I believe. It's not by accident. Peter's smelling that. And he's remembering the regrets that he had there that he's been carrying ever since. And now back on the beach, there it is again. Peter looks in the face of the resurrected Jesus. Now think about this. Picture this in your eye, mind, eyes, mind. The, the scars of his hands and his feet there uh, uh, of the crucifixion are still there. Uh, and the scars in his head are still there. And he's looking into the eyes of the one now 
who's risen from the dead. And Jesus says this to him in John chapter 21. He says, Simon, what happened to the rock? What happened to Peter? No, I'm going to set that aside for a little bit. Now, now you're, you're, you're kind of, you've gone backwards. You're, you're Simon here. You're old Pete. You're, you're the old guy. Simon, do you, do you love me? Do you love me more than that? And we don't know if that is a fish or the guys or whatever that was. I don't know that it matters. No more bragging. No more bravado. Now humbly comes Peter. And three times Jesus, like, he, Peter denied Jesus and three times he asked him uh, in the aroma of the fire, hey, do you love me? And he kind of did a little play on words. Do you love me? Do you love me? And it's at this time that Jesus says, Peter, there's, he says something that he's not expecting. He's not expecting. He says, feed my sheep. Can you imagine? He's thinking like, well, well, feed your sheep. I, I figured you were done with me. I figured you wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. I figure that because I'd so screwed up and I'd so failed you, how could, how could you, you're inviting me back to be a part of, your, of who you are? You're inviting me to, to feed your sheep? I mean, and Jesus would say, you know, I know there's more failures in your future, but you're forgiven of your failure. I've got a place for you. God's got a place for you. I still believe in you. I still love you. I still have room for you. Peter, I want you to, to feed my sheep. Yeah, you abandoned me, but, but I don't abandon you. That's not who I am. And all that to say this, listen, on your spiritual journey, wherever you're at in your spiritual journey where you're like not interested, neutral, a little interested, not a church person, I just would hope that you would grasp that this is what God is like. And so this is what the resurrected Jesus is like because God's love is like for, you know, frat guys and frat girls on whatever, you know, Girls Gone Wild or whatever the TV show is there. You know what I'm talking about. It used to be on TV. I don't know if it's on TV anymore. But God's love is for people that have special needs. God's love is for people that follow at a distance. God's love is people that have had victims of abuse. God's love is for tattoo parlor owners. God's love is for people counting the days that they've been sober and clean. God's love is for single moms creative types, and factory workers, the teachers, and doctors, and families falling apart, and families pretending that it's not falling apart. And God's love is for people that have secret lives, and stagnant faith. And God's love is for everyone. God's love is for you. And God's love is for me. And that's the story of the resurrection. God's love was for Peter. And I'm going to begin to close this morning by saying this. I believe that for some of you, your story intersects with the story. I want to say that this could be the beginning, just possibly for someone, for someone 
it would be an honor for me to pray for just one that maybe you've heard God's voice in the resurrection story. My hope and my prayer is, is that there's someone here that needed the message. My hope is that there's someone that would say, but Rod, yeah, if you only knew my life and the mistakes, but could I just remind you of, of Peter in his life? Could I remind you that the Bible says in Romans, it says, but where sin increased, grace increased even more. Show me your life. And where sin has increased, and I would say, yeah, but I could show you where God's grace can increase even more. No matter how big your sin, in other words, no matter how big that that is, his grace is bigger still. His grace surpasses your sin. God is a God that regardless of your, your history, God is a God that wants the best for you, so he's got more grace. Watch, watch. All the more. I don't care what your story is, there's more. Like God's a God of more, bigger than your story. So however far your, your life has wandered away, you've missed the mark, you've departed, you've disregarded, you've blown off God, I don't want you in my life. Whatever your story is, if you're open enough and you be humble enough, and courageous enough here, you could, like Peter, regardless of what you've done, regardless of all your regrets, you could swim toward him today. You could engage him today. So remember that Easter matters because the resurrection of Jesus, it's the power, friends. The power that finally sets us free from our past, no matter how dark our past. The resurrection dream is, is that your past would really be past. That your past would not control you. That your past would not dictate your, your present or your future like it does. See, there's a resurrection reality that could be true of you today if you would say yes. Peter, who utterly failed there on the day of Pentecost, God says, yeah, you're the one to preach on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people made eternity-changing decisions there on the day of Pentecost. And there's Peter, Acts 2, 38. He says, hey, repent. I know a lot about repenting. I, like, I've repented. He says, uh, it means to turn and go in a different direction. Every one of you, and I wonder if that would be the, the word here today. Every, every one of you has the opportunity to do that, to say yes to God and yes to forgiveness, yes to believing, yes to resurrection power. And so... I'm going to ask us, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, remind us, the Bible says, that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And I wonder who here today on Easter Sunday that you would, uh, you would want to say, yes, that's me. I believe. I'm the one you're talking about. I, would, I, would, I could use a new start on Easter Sunday. I said two words years ago that changed everything in my life, and that is when I got married to my beautiful, exquisite bride, Kirsten. I said, I do. And those two words changed my life forever. And today you could say two simple words that could change your life forever, and that is, I believe, in the stillness of the moment, in the quietness of the moment, 
If you're ready to receive forgiveness, right where you're sitting, could you say, yes, that's me. I believe. I wonder who would, would say that. I wonder who would have the courage to, to say that in your heart of hearts. I believe. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to return back to him. I want to be his follower. I want to be washed of my regretful past. That's you with our eyes closed and our heads bowed. You raise your hand and say, acknowledge that is me. In the front, in the back, I want to acknowledge that reality in my life. I want to acknowledge that. There are others. I want to acknowledge that. So Jesus, I pray for everyone here that you give us a sense that you're speaking to us. You give us a sense, Lord Jesus, the crucified Son of God died publicly and brutally for us and that we would be willing to take a stand for you. That we would not be intimidated to stand for you. So Father, I pray that you would do what only you could do and go where only you could go. And you would cause us to rise up as you rose up out of the tomb. And that we'd rise up for you if you've been speaking to us. Pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed saying, Amen. Amen.